I'll tell you what's awesome about Romans 16 is that this is one of those chapters, if you're reading through the Bible, you go from Romans 15, you get to Romans 16, you're like, oh, this is just one of those lists, right? List of names, and then well, I can move on to 1 Corinthians after this, right? It's funny, as I come to this section and study it in depth this week, I shared it with our leadership this morning. It was a reminder that Paul knows a bunch of people all over the place by name, and he loves them. <laughs> Can I tell you what one of the temptations is as a pastor is to think that your job is to only teach doctrine, only teach the Bible, only teach those things. But can I tell you, ministry is people. We want to root everything we do in the Word of God like we just talked about. But my job also as a pastor is to love you and for you guys to love one another, <laughs> to shepherd you, to care for you. And a pastor that forgets to do those things, they may have all the answers in the world theologically and doctrinally. But do they love the flock? Do they love the brethren, the sisters, those in, in Christ with them? Do they love them? And I'll tell you, sometimes we read Paul's letters, and we think that Paul was just like ready to fire off wisdom and theology and rebukes. But in this section, we see Paul loved people. I think this is important because, again, I am a guy that can get lost in the weeds of the Word. I love studying all week long. Don't get in the way of my studying is usually how I feel most of the time. I love studying the Word. But someone taught me a long time ago, my former pastor, Joe Tata, at Calvary Chapel, Pomona Valley, he's a people person. And he says, man, who cares how much you know if you have no one to give it to? <laughs> who cares how much you know if you're not living it? <laughs> Love the people that have been committed to you. And I'll tell you, Paul was an awesome pastor and minister because he knew the Word of God through and through. Praise the Lord for that. That is the basis. That is the foundation we build upon. But then he loved people as well. He was brave. He was courageous. But he loved. Look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 16. He begins with a commendation. It says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Cancrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. And so when we come to this section, again, we're like, well, who are these people? We have a Phoebe in here, right? Who's Phoebe? I haven't heard about her anywhere else in the scripture. And it's cool because can I tell you what this means? This isn't some fairy tale. This isn't some story that was created by an author for the sake of grabbing your attention and bringing you into some kind of fable. These are real people in real places that did real things under the Lord. And I love it. Phoebe? What, did she, what was she doing? She was a servant of the church in Cancrea. And her name is etched in Scripture now for serving the Lord. <laughs> Someone that we would say, Phoebe, like no one dresses up as Phoebe at like hallelujah night for a Halloween Christian event, right? <laughs> We're like, Phoebe, you're Phoebe? That's weird. I, I don't think of that as Phoebe. I think of like some show from the 90s when I hear the name Phoebe. In this case, <laughs> I won't even mention the show. You guys know if you laugh. But the reality is... <laughs> This lady, Phoebe, she served the Lord and Paul recognized her and commended her to the Roman believers. And why would he do this? I think it's important because remember, we're told, it's in Galatians 2.4. Paul said, false, false brethren came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. False brethren. People would show up and say, hey, I'm here on behalf of Paul. 
Let me tell you what I want you to do. I want you to serve me. I want you to come along me and do my thing. We saw this with the Judaizers in the book of Galatians, right? For Paul to say, I'm sending Phoebe. I commend her. I am speaking highly of her. It is backing her up that she's not one of these false believers. He says, be prepared. And it's believed that she's probably one of the couriers that's bringing the letter from Corinth, where Paul is writing, and taking it to Rome. And so he's saying, when this person shows up with a letter, if I don't give her a commendation here, she might say like, oh yeah, Paul told me that you need to come alongside of me. Other people have done that and it was incorrect. Now it's in the letter that, oh no, this is true. Paul has commended her and said that we need to come alongside and it says to receive her in a manner worthy of the saints. <laughs> to receive someone in the manner worthy of the saints, it's a two-way street. <laughs> It is to say, we are going to respect you, we are going to receive you, because we've been told that you're here to serve, you've come here, and we're believing that with honest intention. We're going to receive you, but also the person coming needs to live up to that expectation, right? Hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to pour into you. I'm going to be a servant. And that word servant in this section is diakonos. That's where we get our word deacon from. Some have said Phoebe could be titled a deaconess. I think it's funny because if you go through about 10 different commentaries, you're going to find out quickly what these men's stances are in general to women in ministry. They'll either do one of two things. They'll play this down to be non-existent, or they'll play it so big that Phoebe's like the leader of all the church in all of history. <laughs> you're like, that's not who Phoebe was. Phoebe was what it says. She was a deacon. You know what a deacon was? Someone that served in the practical things. If you're a woman here at the church, can I tell you how valuable you are to this body? <laughs> Sisters in the Lord, can I tell you how many events I've had? I've been in ministry for, like, full-time vocational ministry for about seven years now. I've been in the Lord for about 15 years. Can I tell you how important it is <laughs> that we have women with an eye for detail, with sensitivity, with... I'm, I'm talking generalities, but I believe they stand pretty standard. I know there's anomalies to these things, but here's the deal. We have women in the church that if they were part of this, man, it would be a mess here on Sunday mornings. Can I be honest with you? Shout out to Tia Lisa. I always talk about Tia Lisa, right? <laughs> Shout out to Natalie Cooch, right? Rex Cooch, yeah. Natalie Cooch. Shout out to, to all the wives of our leaders in ministry, the people that serve in women's, Whitney Alvarez, who's teaching the Bible for the women. There's so many things that are happening here. Let me be clear. This does not change the order of the fact that there is an order put in place that Paul always goes goes back to the garden in scripture. He says men are to be in the place of the authority leadership. Does that make sense? I hope you guys hear that. Welcome to the offensive part of church Sunday morning, right? Everyone's like, I'm out of here. It's 2023. We don't believe this. I'm telling you this. We're never going to play down the role of women in ministry. There is a reality that women should be serving the Lord. If you have a breath in your body, you are to serve the Lord with it. Amen? I don't care if you're Jew or Gentile, male or female, serve the Lord. <laughs> And it's funny because Pastor Chuck spoke about this very section in the 70s. And he says, I don't understand why we get hung up on this section. It says what it says. She's a servant. Be a servant unto the Lord. Amen. All of us should be servants. All of us should be looking for ways to serve the Lord. And he wrote to them and said, whatever she needs help with, come and help her with her business. The business is not talking about making money. That's not what business is here. Business is being busy about the things of the Lord. If she comes in and says, hey, we're going to do this thing. I need your help with this thing. Come alongside her. I'm commending her. I'll tell you, we have Lisa Cordero here in the church. I'm giving her shout out. So she's not in the room, so I can kind of put her on good blast this morning, right? So she's 
awesome. She came alongside and said, how can I serve the body with things like food? You know what I don't know how to do? Cook. You know what I don't pay attention to? How comfortable it is in a room, what things look like at a wedding or a funeral. I've done ministry with her for years. She's like, you're not going to have flowers at the wedding? I'm like, we have the Word of God. What else do we need, right? She's like, oh my gosh. And she just rallies this team of awesome women that have an eye for the things I would never have an eye for. Now again, there's still order in these things, amen? But they're all serving the Lord, and it takes all the different members to come alongside to serve the Lord the way He's called us. And look what it says here as Paul goes on. Here's another, this is awesome. He says, a helper of many and of myself also. Paul says, Phoebe has helped me. She's helped many others. To get a shout out from Paul at the end of the book of Romans, after all the heavy things we've talked about, wouldn't you think Phoebe must have done something really huge and important? It's funny, we don't see it in Acts, some big event that we can point to. She was faithful in the little things. Are you faithful in the little things? Don't despise the day of small things. Zechariah tells us about that, right? Don't despise the days of laying the foundation of the temple. That's the important thing. We need a good foundation to build upon. We have all these practical things happening. Everyone should be involved with those things. And Paul says, man, I am blessed. Everyone is blessed by her helping. Look at verse 3. It says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. <laughs> Priscilla and Aquila are what I would call a power couple in the Word of God. <laughs> we saw them in Acts chapter 18. Paul met them in Corinth. As he came into the port of Sancria, he came in through there. He came into the place that is Corinth right there in Greece. And he met this couple. What was this couple doing in Corinth? We're told that they were expelled from Italy by the Roman Emperor Claudius because they were Jews. There was a command, a decree that went out that said, if you're a Jew and you're in Rome, they were, again, anti-Semitism was rampant. They said, get out of Rome. You can't be here. Can you imagine the hearts of Priscilla and Aquila when they're told we can't stay in our country anymore? They were Jews, but they were residing in Rome. And they said, we can't be here anymore. Can you imagine? They probably wrestled through that and said, Lord, what are you going to do with this? <laughs> We don't want to get up and move. We don't want to do this. Can I tell you? The Lord used that wickedness for goodness. <laughs> Remember what Joseph said to his brothers? What you intended for evil, the Lord used for good. I love when crazy things happen. Honestly, we don't love it in the moment. But I love to look back when I thought everything was going wrong. And then I'm able to look back and go, man, the Lord was in that. The Lord was using that season. We got expelled from our home country, Priscilla and Kilda say. Why was that? They were fellow tent makers. They weren't running some illegal thing. They were just trying to serve the Lord, make some tents. And then in Corinth, they meet Paul. And see, Paul in Corinth, if we read Acts 18, you guys studied it with us when we went through Acts. Corinth was one of the hardest places for Paul to minister to, it would seem. How do we know that? Because when he was in Corinth, the Lord Jesus appeared to him in a vision in Acts 18, 9-10. And he told Paul, the Lord Jesus said, do not be afraid. That means Paul was afraid. But speak and do not keep silent. That means Paul was thinking about going silent. <laughs> for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Are you in a situation right now where you're like, man, I just want to give in. <laughs> I want to give up. I want to get out. 
Do you know how long Paul stayed in Corinth? A year and a half after that vision. One of the longest stays he had in all of his missionary journeys. A place that he thought about leaving and fleeing, and the Lord said, I have people here. The Lord had a city manager there that protected Paul. But more than that, I believe the Lord had Priscilla and Aquila there. People that didn't know why they were in Corinth, and the Lord says, man, I'm going to use you to support this guy, Paul. I'm going to use you to bless him. You, your life is in shambles right now. You don't know why you're where you're at, but I'm going to use it. And can I tell you what's cool about Priscilla and Aquila? They weren't pastors. They were laymen. They were just regular people, we would say. We talked about Phoebe a minute ago. Now we're talking about Priscilla and Aquila. If you are in this room are not in vocational ministry, you might be saying, well, what am I supposed to do? Is there anything that important that I can do? Can I tell you, you are called to serve the Lord. You are called to support the work of the kingdom. And that can be by your energy, by your strength, by any resource that the Lord has given you. You should be looking for ways wherever the Lord has you, as weird as the season may be, to serve the Lord. Does that make sense? I've always looked at Priscilla and Aquila and thought, man, if I never, this is back in the day, I'd say, if I never go into the ministry, I pray that my wife Jen and I would be like Priscilla and Aquila. <laughs> that, man, we would just be looking for opportunities to serve the Lord. Lord, if you never open the door to ministry, we want to live a life of ministry nonetheless. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I think the Lord honored that in a lot of ways. There were seasons where we weren't actively, like, on staff at a church or anything, but I'll tell you, the Lord used some of those seasons even more mightily than He ever did when I was in vocational ministry. <laughs> My co-workers at work, friends that would come over for dinner to our house, we would have opportunities just to evangelize, to preach to them. And if I would have just waited to say, well, someday I'll go on staff, someday it'll be my job to be in ministry. You're already in ministry if you're in Jesus Christ. I hope you know that. <laughs> you have ministries in your home, with your children, with your wife, at school, with your classmates. You guys have all kinds of ministries before you, not to mention the giftings you have to edify the body here in the four walls of the church. And I just encourage you, man, use these guys in as, as an example. There's another couple in the book of Acts called Ananias and Sapphira. You remember them? <laughs> Don't be like Ananias and Sapphira. These are guys ran around and found ways to cheat the Lord, cheat the people. If you want to be like a couple, be like Priscilla and Aquila. <laughs> it's interesting. All these people were involved in the church. But some people did it the right way. Let's do it the right way like them. Amen? Let's desire to be like these two here. And it's awesome. They actually traveled to Ephesus with Paul. Then Paul left them there in Acts 18, 19 uh, to establish a church there in Ephesus. We're told in 1 Corinthians 16, 19 that they had a church there, a home church. And see, this is awesome because anywhere they go, whether it's being expelled into Corinth, they serve the Lord. When Priscilla and Aquila went to Ephesus, they submitted to Paul's command. Paul says, hey, I want you guys to stay here. This is of the Lord. Stay here and do a home church. And they stayed in Ephesus. Remember, they left Rome. This isn't their home place. But they said, wherever I go, I'm going to serve the Lord. And it's awesome because in Ephesus, they met a young man, I believe a younger man, named Apollos. You guys remember Apollos from Acts? Instead of Apollos, he was a fervent, fervent Jewish man that had a desire to tell people about the Messiah. But here's the deal. The Messiah message that he had was that, hey, John the Baptist proclaimed the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, repent, repent. Well, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, they hear Apollos at one point. I believe it's in Acts chapter 18, verse 26. They come over to him and they pull him aside and they say, hey, you're on fire for the Lord. This is awesome. But you're not talking about the fact that Jesus died and rose again. This is the idea. It says that they instructed them more accurately in the things of the Lord. He only knew up to the baptism of John the Baptist. And you know what some people believe? 
that the book of Hebrews could have possibly been written by Apollos. It's one of those letters we're not sure if it was Paul or not. And some people say, man, that could have been Apollos that wrote that. Can I tell you, if that was the case, this layman married couple influenced the writing of the book of Hebrews. <laughs> That's insane to me. I don't know about you guys. You would think that would be like, oh, this guy had to be trained by some rabbi or something. If that was the case, never underestimate the way the Lord can use you. The Lord can use you in such mighty things and as simple as a basic conversation instructing someone in the things of the Lord. And I love it. They stepped into these things. They did this. It also says that they risked their own necks for Paul's life. Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. I don't know what the context here. We look at the Greek and we say, does that mean they literally almost died for Paul? Maybe Paul was getting in trouble a lot, right? <laughs> Paul was a guy, talk about offending people, right? Paul was a guy that would go in, he'd get stoned to clinical death and he'd stand up and go back into town and preach the gospel, right? That's hardcore. I always talk about, man, Paul was the, that OG, man. He went after it. He didn't care if he was going to die for the name of Jesus. And it says that they risked their necks. It's potentially that they got involved and saved Paul's actual physical life at some point because someone's going to kill him or something. But can I tell you, even if it's just speaking practically and spiritually, didn't Aquila and Priscilla give of their life and saying, man, we're going to go with you, Paul, wherever you're going to go. You want us to stay in Ephesus, Paul? We'll stay in Ephesus. We trust your leadership. We believe it's of the Lord and we're going to serve the Lord wherever we're at. There's a laying down of your life as you serve the Lord. And he says, man, they did it for my sake, but they're doing it under the Lord. And he says, man, we just thank the Lord for them, right? I give thanks for them and all the churches, the Gentiles. They were a blessing to the whole church. But he also says, likewise, greet the church that's in their house. This means that they're now back in Rome because he's writing to Rome. He says they're back in Rome and guess what they have now? A house church. <laughs> These guys don't quit. Priscilla and Aquila, wherever they go, they're hosting a fellowship in their house to serve the Lord. They don't let their circumstances change their commitment to the service of Jesus Christ. We all, I, I asked you guys last week, right? I think 80% of hands went up as transplants, right? <laughs> Where so many of us came from other states and just moved here. And I think there's a tendency when you move into a new place, you're like, man, I just got to get settled. I got to figure this out. And I get that. We want that season. But can I tell you, at some point, the Lord's going to say, okay, you're settled. It's time to do business. <laughs> Serve the Lord where you're at. Amen? I'm not telling you have to have a home church in your house. Praise the Lord if the Lord's laid that on your heart, by the way. <laughs> we started as a home church about two years ago, almost to the week. And the Lord's blessed that. But I'll tell you, if you have the gift of hospitality, open your home up. Open your time up. Meet people for coffee. Just instruct them in the Lord. If you have gifts in the Spirit, use them here in the body and outside as the Lord leads you. It's time to put your eyes back on the Lord. Amen? Look at what happens in this section now. Now we get a list. Oh, this is a fun list. Look, at, you're going to watch me butcher a bunch of names. This is going to be so fun. You ready? Verse 5, right in the middle. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Adronicus and Unia, my countrymen, and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampulus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Wow, that's a lot of names, okay? So, <laughs> we work through those names and we're like, what is the significance here? Again, I have to stress this. These are real people in real places. 
and I love it, they're not all apostles like Peter and Paul or John or James. Or they're not these names that we're like, oh man, I know them from Scripture. There are so many subtle, almost anonymous outside of this section of Scripture. But the first one that we have here, we're not going to hit all of them, but I want to hit a few of these. Apenitus is said to be the first fruits of Achaia. Achaia was a region that Paul went to, I believe it was third, during his third missionary journey. It's modern day Turkey. And it says that this person was the first fruits of that region. That means he was the first probably to convert to Jesus Christ and receive the gospel that Paul preached. Do you guys have those people in your life that you remember? I led them to the Lord. The first person you led to the Lord. You remember those people? I hope you still keep in touch with them, Lord willing, right? I hope they're still walking with the Lord. But isn't there just a sweetness in remembering what the Lord did in that? When you go, man, I was like a new believer. Or maybe you were an established believer. It was the first time that you courageously kind of went out and did this. And someone accepted it and they grew in the Lord. I love this. We see this with our street witnessing ministry, right? With the evangelism ministry, going out and preaching. And what a sweet fruit of the ministry when someone accepts the gospel. When they go, man, this is, this is for me. This is for all of us. It's, I can entrust in this. And Paul says, man, what a blessing. My, my friend, Apenitus, he was the first fruits of that region. He goes on to Mary. Uh, her name is also written in some places as Miriam, and we believe that makes her Jewish. Um, this is a Jewish woman who labored much for us, he says. In verse 6, the word for labor is kopeao. It means to labor with wearisome effort. <laughs> Like to the point of like where you're constantly being wearied by how much effort you're putting in to serving. I think this is awesome again because she gets one sentence here. <laughs> but again, she's etched into the scriptures because of her service unto the Lord. There's some people that are etched in scripture for not good things, right? <laughs> I don't want to be like that, right? I want to stand before the Lord someday and be like, man, you served with great labor, with wearisome labor. I think that's so cool. Again, we're talking about a female here. This is awesome. We're going to see through this list. We see male, female, Jewish, Gentile. In verse 7, it talks about Adronicus and Unia. We're not sure. Okay, so commentators say Unia. Is this, is this a woman? Is it a man? We're not sure. Many think this is a married couple, much like Priscilla and Aquila. In this case, what it says about the two of them is that they were countrymen. That means they were also Jewish and they were fellow prisoners. And they were, no, um, they were of like, notoriety among the apostles. These two were willing to go to jail for the ministry that Paul was going to do, the gospel of Jesus Christ. How incredible is this? That again, a married couple, we're not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, they went to jail for Jesus. <laughs> That's insane to me. Like, we think about jailbreaks. We think about, like, Peter being in jail, right, in Acts. We think about earthquakes. We think about these things. There were practical, just honestly, practical persecution that we don't read about. And the people endured it. And why did they endure it? Because they were uh, pledged allegiance to Paul? It's because they were pledged allegiance to the Lord. Amen? The Lord will call you to season sometimes. You say, man, this is a difficult season. Why am I here? Can I tell you, the Lord is not blind to that. The Lord keeps record of things like that. You might be in a season where you say, Lord, why am I here? Why am I going to do this? I'm serving you. So I have new believers that say things like this, right? New believers come to the Lord and they're like, man, my life got incredibly hard since coming to the Lord. You're like, well, congratulations, you're in a battlefield now. You just woke up to the fact that you're in this spiritual battle. You're told in Ephesians 6 to put on the armor of God. 
The victory belongs to the Lord, but you're in the battle now. And this is not going to be the kind of thing where you just wake up and go, okay, cool, cruise control, perfection, prosperity gospel maybe. No. The reality is you may have to be imprisoned. In the very least, you're a prisoner of Jesus Christ now. <laughs> Practically, we live in a great, awesome, wonderful country where we can stand on a stage and project this on a Sunday morning publicly and put it out publicly on YouTube and not get arrested for it. We don't know if that will always be the case. I'm glad it is right now, right? That's kind of cool. I don't get arrested for doing this. But can I tell you... <laughs> Are we willing to do this even when it comes to the point of being arrested for it? Where it will offend not just man, but even the government in front of us. And we say, why is that important? Because can I tell you, we get tested in those times. Can I tell you, you're going through a trial and you're going through tribulation. Can I tell you, a faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. You're going through hard things right now. To some extent, praise the Lord for that. Book of James tells us that. And that sounds crazy, I know. You're like, I'm supposed to rejoice in this? Yes, because you know what? As you endure this temptation, there's a crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Amen? Keep going. Keep pressing on. Keep continuing, even in the face of these things. In verse 8 and 9, we have Ampelos and Stachos, both called beloved. Again, I think expressing Paul's relationship with these people. He says, you are my beloved. That speaks of a sincere brotherly love that says, man, you are my people. <laughs> I love this because, again, we tend to think that Paul was just mad all the time. He's always writing letters to people like, who bewitched you, right? He's all worked up. <laughs> Can I tell you that comes out of a heart of love for the people? And he desires that they would walk strong in the Lord. The reason that we are so adamant about teaching the Word of God and holding the Word of God as that line of truth is because we love you guys. We want to teach what's right and true because God has given us His Word that we would be made more like Him and know the very reason we were created was to glorify Him, right? He's given us the instruction manual on how to do that with His Word. He's shown us how we can know life and peace and hope and comfort. And our job is to bring that to you. But can I tell you, when we step out of those parameters, when we get into things we shouldn't be in, in love, we will come alongside and say, that's not what we're supposed to be doing as believers. We don't behave like that anymore as Christians. And Paul says, man, you are my beloved. I love you guys. He also says of Urbanus, he's like-minded. I love that because, man, if I could be told that I'm like-minded like Paul, that would be like the greatest compliment I've ever received. <laughs> To be like-minded is the kind of determination that Paul had. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.27, he said, I discipline my body, lest after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. We talk about having a mentality about being serious about things of the Lord. Paul had that mentality. Paul also said, we were talking about liberties recently, at the end of 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 8, verse 13. He says, if eating meat stumbles my brother, I'm never going to eat meat again. <laughs> that's a strong statement, right? I'm just, I like meat too, so that's a hard thing, right? I like barbecue, I like grilling. Paul's like, I will never do any of that again if it stumbles my brother. And to be called like-minded like Paul, that is a huge compliment as a believer, right? He says, man, I love these guys, they're like-minded. And it says here in verse 10, this is a cool statement. Apollos, approved in Christ. When we look at that title, we like to think, well, that means he's like accepted in Christ, right? But to be approved in Christ in this section, it means to be tested and proven. We've talked about going through the trial, being tested. It says here, yeah, I'm sorry, in 1 Peter 1.7, it uses the same word. It speaks of our faith. It says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested, that is the word approved, by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lastly, in verse 10 and 11, we have a shout out to a couple of households. Fathers in the room, this is an important one for you. 
Notice that it says in verse 10, it says, greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Spurgeon, a great preacher, teacher, and commentator, said there's a reason that he greets the household of Aristobulus and not the namesake Aristobulus himself. He says because there were people in the household that knew the Lord, but the household namesake did not. That's terrifying to me that there may be fathers that come to church because their wives dragged them here this morning. <laughs> there might be kids in here that got dragged here because your parents believe. Can I tell you, I pray that you would be listed in getting a direct greeting in the Lord versus you belong to a family that belonged to the Lord. Can I tell you, there are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God, only children. You must have your own relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Fathers, I'm telling you right now, don't check the box. Don't come here because your wife dragged you here. Come here sincerely desiring to hear from the Lord, and I guarantee you, you'll hear. Amen. And honestly, there's husbands in here that probably are bringing their wives and kids that don't know the Lord. Man, represent him in your household that they may come to know him as well. It's such a subtle detail in this section that I would have glazed right over, but thank the Lord for guys like Spurgeon <laughs> that go, man, there's something really important in here. Exhort the fathers, exhort the leaders, exhort the parents to have their own relationship and not to rely on anyone else's relationship. Amen? Children, young men, young people, young women, everyone upstairs, it's so easy to coast here. You got here probably not in your own car. You probably came in someone else's car. You probably had to come here this morning or else you're going to get in trouble. Use this season. You're here in an awesome place to hear the Word of God. Take it and apply it. Amen? Receive it. Don't, I'm telling you, so many years sitting in a gymnasium in a youth group, it went in one ear and went out the other. And I'll tell you what's funny about this. When I study sometimes, I'll listen to studies from 20 years ago, and I'm like, I was in the room for that study <laughs> the first time. And I didn't get any of it because I didn't care. Now I'm spending my time going back to relearn the things I could have got the first time. <laughs> Come in here with a heart to receive the things of the Lord. Don't despise the days of your youth. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Yes. All right. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's look at verse 12 through 16. I promise we're almost done with the list stuff. All right, guys? Let's go. Are we with me still? Yes. I know. It's a list. This is hard. Imagine when we get to the book of Numbers. You guys are going to be in it with me. All right. Greet Trephenna and Trephosa, if you're naming babies, great baby names here, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet, all right, here we go. Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Eulia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Alright, so we got through the big list of names, right? Can I tell you again? You know I'm going to do it. There's so much in here. Trephena and Trephosa. Commentators go, they're probably twin sisters because they have such similar names. They mean dainty and delicate in the original language. So, adorable little baby names. When you grow up, I don't know if you want to be known as dainty and delicate, but really cute when they were born, right? Um, they labored in the Lord. That same word for labored is that, that idea of laboring just to, to the point of, of being weary. You're just serving the Lord so passionately. And also, it says the beloved Pharisees who labored much. So in that case, it says that they all were serving the Lord with great fervency, but in the case of that last name, Perseus, they actually did this often. So there's some that served a lot. There's others that served a lot and often. And I think that we see that in the body, and the Lord uses all of it. There's seasons to this. You might be in a season where you say, man, I used to serve often, 
but I don't get to serve as often. I hope you're still serving the Lord wherever He's calling you to. And I'll tell you, there's been seasons for me. For one year, I remember for 2014, I think it was 2014, I had one year where all I did, we had moved back to California from Texas the first time. Please don't ask. I don't know how we did that. It should be unforgivable at this point, but here we are back here. We've made it right, okay? But we lived here for a year. I had a marketing contract out here. We moved back home. We went back to our home church, Calvary Pasadena, and we just didn't feel like that was home anymore. We had come to a Calvary out here. We got plugged in. It just was different. And so we ended up, we went to Jack Hibbs for a little bit. If you guys are familiar with Jack Hibbs out in Chino Hills, awesome church, but it was huge. It was really big. There's like 10,000 people there. And I'm like, it's too big for me. It's great for you, not for me. It's too big. And we went up the road to Calvary Chapel, Pomona Valley. It's like 350 people. I remember the Lord just confirming, no audible voice thing, but confirming this is your church. And as I went in, I was in a valley of valleys in my walk in the Lord. <laughs> Not in sin, let me be clear, but just going, man, I'm not doing anything I want to be doing right now. I'm working at a job I don't want to be at. I've just moved to Texas, moved back, uncertain of where I'm at. I'm at this brand new church where I don't know anyone. And for a year, the Lord just had me sitting in the pews, sitting, sitting, sitting. And can I tell you, I've never been, I've never been filled up more in a season in my life than when I sat in the pews and received what Pastor Joe was teaching from the Word of God. And I'll tell you, I went to a church before that that I believe taught the Word so in-depth, so soundly, like a collegiate-level kind of teaching. And I tell you, it kind of affected me because I walked around thinking I was better than everyone for a really long time. And I sat in this church, and Pastor Joe taught the most practical messages from the book of Matthew, verse by verse. And I realized, man, I love God, but I don't love people at all. <laughs> and I realized, how am I thinking I'm called to ministry when I don't love people? How can I be a minister? And the Lord dealt with my heart for a year while I sat in the pews. And I'll tell you, without that year, I could not be doing the things I'm doing now. Seasons in the Lord, amen? Are we willing to sit for a season that we may be used later? Are we okay with that? Some people only want to be busy. No, I'm too important. I can't be sitting. You need to sit sometimes. I need to sit sometimes. I'm stoked that I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Who knows what the Lord has? I want to make sure there's two words that belong to the Lord. Always and never. <laughs> Those don't belong to us. Amen? When I say, I'm always going to do, be here doing this, that's, I can't say that. <laughs> I'm never going to go do that. Don't say that either. <laughs> Those words belong to the Lord. Say, if the Lord wills, I'll go where He leads. Amen? These women here in this verse, again, these are women, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Pharisees, they labored much. But then we have in verse 13, Rufus. That's a great name too, right? Rufus. Chosen in the Lord. This is an awesome title. I hope that you know, according to Ephesians 1 through 4, we all have put our trust in the Lord and we are chosen in the Lord. Amen? If you've put your trust in Jesus, you have been chosen by the Lord. Ephesians 1 4 tells us, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before Him in love. Are we living as if we're chosen? <laughs> Are we living blamelessly? That doesn't mean perfection, but not making a stronghold for sin in our life. Are we living in love? Are we walking around looking for opportunities to love the Lord our God and love our neighbor as ourselves? And then in 14 and 15, we have this group of names. I'm not going to go over them again, but you have two lists here. Um, it's believed that they're broken up into two separate house churches. You have one house here, one house here, verse 14, verses verse 15. And I'll tell you, there's a movement today that says the only right church has to be in a house. I don't know if you've heard this. They believe that house churches are way more holier than having a building. Buildings are corporate. Buildings are evil. Can I tell you, we started as a home church. The reason we went to a building is because we couldn't do it in the house anymore. It's practical. If you want to have church in a house, praise the Lord. 
Lord for that, right? If you want to have a church and building, praise the Lord for that. It better be under the Lord. It better be as the Lord leads you. And we know that though they started in houses, history shows us that as soon as they were able, they went into buildings. <laughs> Don't let anyone tell you, oh, you're not holy unless you go to a little home fellowship. I love home fellowships. That's how we start. I kind of miss the home fellowship sometimes. It was kind of fun. The commute was way easier, right? Woke up and walked in the living room. Here's church. And it was cool. Uh, but I love what the Lord's doing here too. And I see the Lord's doing great things. We talked about Jack Hibbs a minute ago. 10,000 people. It's a big building, big church. And praise the Lord for that ministry. There's great things happening there. But praise the Lord for the ministry that we know nothing about. The group of Christians that are meeting in a home somewhere. But don't get off on a tangent that says we're the only holy ones because we do it this way. It's funny, this is a section people point to, oh, only house churches in Acts. That means you can only have a house church. Everything else is not holy and sanctified. You need to follow the Lord on that, amen? It's funny, you think I'm crazy, but when I told people we had a house church, so many times people were like, oh, yes, high five, you're the real one. You know what you're doing. I'm like, dude, just because I meet in my house, I can be a cult for all you know meeting in my house, right? That's crazy. There might be a reason they don't let me have a building. I can be on a list or something. Dude, like, don't, you know, and it's weird. People get these weird things. Don't buy into the things of man, amen? <laughs> Look what it says here in verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This verse has probably got people in trouble. Listen, we want to be clear what this means. No, you think I'm playing. It says in church history they had to make public announcements of what this meant and did not mean. Let me tell you, I'm not going to get weird on you. I'm just going to tell you. This is not a customary greeting in America. Don't walk up kissing people at church. But I will tell you this. In some places in the world today, you go to Eastern Europe, this is still a greeting there. You walk up, they'll greet you on both sides of the cheek, right? And that's normal. That's totally acceptable. And in that case you know what this talked about being respectful when you see one another it's very simple we like it's, this verse gets joked about sometimes oh holy kiss so, are we respecting each other when we show up to church <laughs> i think we are I, i'm blessed by you guys i come in and everyone's either like there's someone told me there's a thing called the calvary side hug i didn't know that was a thing right i know it's like the the this thing right and then you have the handshake you have the dap right i was told this is a dap when you're doing the whole thing right and then you have knuckles you have all these different things you can do i don't care what your approach is can i tell you be respectful to one another <laughs> Come in with a smile and greet one another. And man, ask someone if they need prayer today. Ask someone. Tell them that you're glad to see them here today. Give them a hug. Give them the Calvary side hug. What, can I tell you also? <laughs> be respectful to the person on the other end. If someone doesn't want a hug, don't be all offended by it. Give them knuckles, right? <laughs> if someone says, hey, get that out of the way. I want a hug. Okay, cool. I'm just telling you, it sounds so silly. I've been in ministry for enough time where I've literally had to have sit-down conversations with people that are offended over things like this. And it's funny because you know what? We're all people, amen? We're all imperfect. We all take one little thing and we blow it up to be this huge giant issue. So-and-so doesn't give me hugs anymore when they see me. They must be mad at me. You're like, have you talked to them? No, but I want them expelled from the church. You're like, okay. Like, again, not here. Not here, okay? That's not happening here. Praise the Lord for the pleasure. These things occur, though, and you think I'm, it's funny, but this is what we're talking about. You gotta love the people. You gotta love each other. You gotta care for each other. Be respectful towards one another. Be welcoming and be receiving, amen? I hope that makes sense. Look what it says here. This is where it gets, this is where the context, I think, really the meat is. Look at 17 through 20. Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, by, and by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. 
And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. In this section, it's kind of crazy. It goes from these greetings, right? And I think Paul's trying to close out the letter to the Romans. And then I think right here, he's like, oh, wait, I have something really important <laughs> I have to include here. And he says, I'm urging you. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. Brethren, know those who cause divisions and offenses that are contrary to the doctrine. Can I tell you there's an important part of being a pastor, there's an important part of being a Christian that is being a watchman of the sorts to say, hey, if this is out of line with Scripture, we are not going to have it. Rex talked about it this morning. Rex and I didn't talk about that really at all, that he was going to talk about that, and I love it because it hits this note. Why are we teaching what we teach? It's because it's according to doctrine. Amen? I didn't stay up last night figuring out, okay, what's doctrinal and what's not. The Word of God tells us this. And as we study the Word of God and get doctrine, we stand on the things that are true. And in this case, he says, I'm urging you, mark those out that cause two things, division, and then also, it says offenses. Offenses that are contrary to the doctrine. What that means is those that would come in to deceive. Deceivers and dividers. Can I tell you, every church I've ever been a part of, we've always had to be on watch for these things. And it's never going to stop until the Lord crushes Satan under feet. Amen? Because <laughs> there's an attack against the church. There always is. Satan hates what we're doing this morning. The enemy hates that we are gathered studying the Word of God. You know that he loses in this book, right? <laughs> you know that when we understand it, we understand that eventually he's going to get crushed under the feet of Jesus Christ. Do you know that that was promised in Genesis 3.15? That Satan was going to get crushed, bruised. Although the heel of Christ would be bruised, man, the head of Satan is going to get crushed. Though Jesus went to the cross and died, can I tell you he rose again he's going to crush Satan under feet. But right now, we are in a season where Satan's still running rampant. <laughs> And people come in who do not serve the Lord Jesus, but they serve their own bellies. That talks about their appetite, their wills, their desires, their motives. And they will come in and they will divide. The way that they can divide is say, hey, did you hear what James said this morning about X, Y, and Z in that verse? Ah, I don't think that's really what that means. You know, I actually know what that means. Let me tell you about it. I went to school and it's this, that, and the other thing. Come over here. Let me tell you about it. Let's meet. Let's talk. And all of a sudden you have people starting to divide. And they say, oh, no, trust starts to get broken. And you know what happens in this? It says what, what they do. <laughs> they divide. And then also what's here, they offend. This talks about deception. I think you can divide over legalism. That's a very common thing. Hey, did you hear what happened with that group? Man, they're a bunch of worldly carnal people. We're this group. We're holy. And then you have the other side going like, oh, the holy rollers that are better than thou, right? Holier than thou. We're going to be over here on our side. Now division sets in. But can I tell you, sometimes these things happen just because we're in our flesh. <laughs> That's not what this section is talking about. This section is talking about people that have intent to purposely divide and deceive the church. And Paul warns there are always people looking to do that. We've only been ex in existence for two years. And for the first 10 months, we were smooth sailing. And I had someone coming to the church starting to show up at the house. And every week, there was division starting to be sowed. Every week, it was, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You're not doing it right. I know what's right because I watched a YouTube video one time about someone who told me how to do it correctly. Like, literally, these are the arguments that you're working against. But then he's showing up every single week. And he's talking to a new couple at the church every week, usually young in the face. Says, hey, you know what they're doing is not right here. You know what they're doing is not correct. And I tell you, when I had to have a sit-down conversation with this person, they said, oh, I've been told that I'm supposed to start my own church. And you know what I told them? It's 
time to go start your own church. <laughs> Good luck to you. There's the door, man. Why do you come here every week if you don't like anything that we're doing? <laughs> I don't believe in your stance on this theology. I don't believe in your stance on the rapture. I don't believe in the way you do communion. Then why are you coming here? This is what we do, amen? <laughs> it's funny. I'm going to walk into like Texas Roadhouse and be like, I'm disgusted they serve steak here, right? <laughs> this is a Calvary Chapel. <laughs> this is what we do, man. And it's okay. We can shake hands if we're both in the Lord and say, hey, that's cool if it's different strokes for different folks. But this section, this is about, man, I hate the work that's being done here. I'm going to divide it. I'm going to deceive those that don't know better. We have no room for things like that. <laughs> I'll tell you, I don't believe anyone in this room has that heart. And I'll tell you, there's nothing wrong with being a good Berean and having questions about Scripture. Amen? That is totally good. That's what we're here for. Hey, let's, I, I don't know why this was said. I don't know what this meant. Let me go ask the leadership about it. But to then go around instead and talk to people and say, hey, this is wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Let's go start our own thing over here. That could potentially be divisive and deceitful. Does that make sense? In this case, Paul says, watch out. There's people doing things like this. But he told them, man, your obedience, though, your obedience is known by all. You're already doing these things, and I'm glad for you that you're holding up the things. He says, continue to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Know the truth, no good things, but in regards to being simple in that verse, in verse 19, it's a word that has to do with not being mixed with something. We as believers should know the truth and know a lot about goodness, but we shouldn't be mixed with evil. Amen? It's funny. We talked about this recently. I think we were in the book of Titus for the men's study. We were talking about this. There's guys like Charlie Campbell that came out a few months ago. He's an apologist. That's his ministry. The dude studies every false religion, and he has a rebuttal and an answer to everyone. It's incredible. Can I tell you, generally speaking, most of us in the room aren't apologists like that. Can I tell you the best way to know that something's wrong? Handle the truth all the time. Bank tellers know counterfeits not because they study every fake thing. It's because they study the truth all day long. They're feeling it. And the minute that fake one slips in there, you're like, ooh, that doesn't feel right. That's incorrect. Why? Because I've handled the truth so much I can identify what's evil. Can I tell you, you can have a ministry where you go study those things and have answers for certain cults or, or false religions and things, but I'll tell you, never get away from studying the truth. Amen? Know the truth. Stay in the truth. Don't be mixed with evil. Walk in good things. And he reminds them, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. <laughs> Paul believed that this was going to happen soon in his time. Just 2,000 years ago. <laughs> what kind of urgency should we be living with right now? That man, that battle that we see happening, it's not even a battle. Jesus crushes Satan when he shows up in Revelation. <laughs> it's depicted for us right there in the book of Revelation that he shows up in Revelation 20, he destroys, he casts Satan into the pit eventually for a thousand years, he comes back one more time, then he's destroyed by fire by God, amen? There is a real Satan, as we talked about earlier. Satan is real, but he's going to be destroyed by a very real God in, in heaven. Amen? The Lord Jesus, King Jesus, is really going to come rule and reign on this planet. There is a rapture of the church that we believe happens before the tribulation based on Scripture. And I am excited because, and I tell you, there's nothing that needs to happen for that to occur right now. That the world, would be, the, the world would be testified to. That that last person's going to come to the Lord and the era of grace comes to the Lord, we can go home and be with the Lord. <laughs> if you haven't put your trust in the Lord, do it now so we can go home. Amen? Right? This is the deal. We could go at any moment. Live with urgency. Live with an urgency with your eyes on the Lord. And man, we don't have time to be distracted by division. We don't have time to be distracted by dumb things. I'm sorry if that's a weird word, but I'm just going to be honest. We're human. We're a bunch of imperfect people, right? But we serve a perfect God. <laughs> Amen. If we start looking at people, there's going to be a lot of imperfection around us. Put your eyes on the Lord. Amen. 
All right, we're going to run through the last list. Look at these last greetings here. 21 through the end. These are greetings from people that are with Paul. It says, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sisypater, my countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote the epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And actually, I'll pause it there one more time because it's funny. Paul keeps trying to end his letter and he doesn't, right? He keeps saying, Amen. Amen. Oh, one more thing. One more thing. Welcome to being a pastor, by the way, right? So we have these greetings. The first one is from Timothy to everyone in Rome. And Timothy, we know, is one of those two guys that have pastoral epistles written to them. We have First and Second Timothy written to Timothy from Paul. We have Titus that received the pastoral epistle from Paul as well. Timothy was like a young man. He was said to be like a son to Paul. I believe it's in Philippians 2.22 where he says he served with Paul like a father and a son. Can I tell you, if you don't have a Paul to your Timothy, find someone that can pour into you in the Lord. If you don't have a Timothy to your Paul, find someone you can pour into. Amen? Find someone. This is discipleship. This is iron sharpens iron that you have, you're being poured into. Whether that be, I hope it's more than just me on a Sunday morning. I hope that you're actively pursuing the Word of God somewhere. That you're being poured into by someone in the faith. That someone, whether that be someone you're listening to. Maybe you have a podcast. Maybe I listen to David Guzik like all week long. If he ever gets teaches here, you're going to find out I'm just a cheater. I've been cheating off of David Guzik for years, right? I love David Guzik. Great teacher. I've invited him out. He keeps saying no. He doesn't know how good the barbecue is here though, okay? So I'm going to get him one of these He's going to come out. It's going to be awesome. But I listen to him all week long. I have my, my other brethren that are pastors that we meet and we just encourage each other. We continue to tell each other, stay in the battle, stay in the fight. Here's this thing that happened over my ministry. We point to each other and we point out, this is the thing you're knit for. Here's something you're good at. Here's something you can work on. Here's something that would be beneficial for the ministry. We're encouraging each other. But then we take that... And we pour it into someone else. We raise people up, right? This should be the system, not just for pastors, but for everyone in the body, I believe. Being poured into and pouring out into others. Amen? We have Tertius, who's told that he wrote the epistle. He obviously didn't write the content. He's the transcriber. So Paul would dictate his letters. To, and this is the only time we get the name of a transcriber in one of Paul's letters. He actually says, hey, I greet you guys as well. So he sends his greeting. And then Gaius here, this is the guy who hosted the whole church and Paul. And I think this is awesome. Everyone knew this person in Rome even though this guy was from Corinth. So if they traveled through Corinth, they probably stayed at Gaius' house. They probably knew who he was. He was a guy with the gift of hospitality and again, enshrined in Scripture for the fact that he was hospitable to the brethren. I love that we should be hospitable people. I think this is an important one to know. Erastus, the treasurer of the city. <laughs> Do you ever think about Paul and go, man, everyone in the city probably hated Paul because he was always creating issues, right? Local government probably said, oh no, Paul's coming to our town now. Like, this is going to cause a riot, right? This is going to cause a problem. This is the city. What is it? The treasure of the city. It says in the Greek, this is a guy who had a very important role in the city. And he is sending a greeting in Paul's letter to the people in Rome. <laughs> we should have an effect with our ministry where the people in our city are willing to come into the ministry, be a part part of the ministry, join it and expand into the ministry. Does that make sense? <laughs> Paul showed up into Corinth and the city treasurer is now on his side. <laughs> I think so many times we see it as a battle. It's us versus the government. There are some good people in the government and praise the Lord for them. And we should have an effect on the local government that they are also welcome to come in to the work that we're doing, right? That should be the goal of the church as we're, as we're standing for truth in the community. Not just to make people think like us. Have them come to know Jesus Christ, amen? 
that is the goal. My job is to convert people to Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, when people come to Jesus, that fixes a lot of the wacky stuff that's happening, right? We went, Roger and I went out to, and a few of the others, we went to the school board meeting a few weeks ago. Can I tell you, there's some wild, wicked stuff happening in the city. I think it's important that we stand for these things. I'll tell you what else needs to happen. I think those people need Jesus. <laughs> We're hearing about the books that are given to elementary students. Can I tell you, I'm blushing as they're reading this stuff. I'm like, this is nuts. This is for, what, five and six-year-olds to read? Why would you allow this? Because you don't understand that you're going to have to stand before the Creator someday and answer for this. And you're fearful to offend people. <laughs> Which is the oddest thing, because guess what they're doing? They're completely offending the majority of their population in this city in the fear that they're going to offend just a few. If they come to Jesus, can I tell you, things are going to change. <laughs> My goal is not to make the school board align with our opinions. I don't think that's our goal. Our goal is to get them to know Jesus Christ. If they know Jesus, man, the Holy Spirit's going to do work I could never do. I guess I'll use that at the pump bar meeting. Come out Wednesday night. We're going to have a cool community meeting, okay? Wednesday night at 7 p.m. It'll be at the McKinney Fire Department there. Look at how this ends here. 25 through the end. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And so Paul finally wraps the letter with his third amen in this chapter. <laughs> but what is this final thing? What does he do in this, in this whole ending of this book, this awesome book where we studied the gospel of being saved by grace through faith, that Jesus Christ has brought us peace? What does he do? He praises God. This is called a doxology, this section. He breaks out in praise of who God is. He says, to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. Listen to that personal term, my gospel. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ your gospel? I hope it is. I hope you've committed to it. So this is my gospel. It is Jesus's, but he's given it and called me in by it. Paul says, I don't have my own gospel in the sense that I created it. It's mine personally because I know it and live it. He says, and he, the God of that gospel, is able to establish you. That is to make you strong and stand, to be victorious. But can I tell you, only if it's according to the preaching of Jesus Christ. You can't have God apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? If you want to be established in God, you must acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus came and died on a cross for your sins, for our sins, for the sins of mankind, and he rose again the third day to prove himself that he is God undeserving of death. Amen? When we understand that, we can be established. And it says that he's been, that God has revealed the mystery that would, was kept secret. And now it's been made manifest by the prophetic scriptures and made known to all nations. If you read through the Old Testament, now that you know who Jesus is, can I tell you, Jesus shows up on every single page. Amen. You're reading through the sacrifice, the sacrificial law. You're reading through all these different things, the dietary law. You're reading thing after thing. And you're like, man, this is all about Jesus. Imagine Paul, when he finally came to Christ, how he went, man, I'm reading this Old Testament a whole new way now. Everything is just the mystery, the blindness has been taken away, the mystery has been revealed. We're actually told specifically, it is in Colossians 1.26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations has now been revealed to his saints. 
Let me tell you what this is. This is how we'll end today. <laughs> Jesus came and fulfilled all the things that the law, the prophets, the poetic books, the minor and major prophets, all of them spoke about Jesus. See, Isaiah 35, 5-6 said that the Messiah was going to come, that the eyes of the blind would be opened, the ears of the deaf would be unstopped, the lame would leap like deer, and the tongue of the dumb would sing, that waters would burst forth out of the wilderness and streams in the desert. Jesus came and he opened the eyes of the blind. He opened the ears of the deaf. He healed the mute. And he said, if anyone believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he says, I'm coming to fulfill that messianic passage. Isaiah 53, 5 said that he, the Messiah would be bruised and broken would, for our transgressions, for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was put upon him, but by his stripes we would be healed. Written 700 years before Jesus showed up, and he did exactly what it said would happen in Isaiah 53. Romans 1.4 tells us that he came and fulfilled the spirit of holiness. The whole law that said this is what holiness looks like, Jesus fulfilled it. When the Jews came and approached Jesus and they questioned him, he said, you search the scriptures. You think you have eternal life, but you don't because these are they which testify of me. That is an absolute statement of deity, amen? These scriptures, the word of God, speak all about me, Jesus would say. Then how are people denying it? Because they haven't believed upon the revealed wisdom of God. This morning, you have an opportunity to make the wise decision to acknowledge the wisdom of God that has revealed that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Amen? For those of us that already put our trust in the Lord, continue to walk in the things of God. Study the Word. Apply it to your life. Obey the Lord. As it says, this is for all nations. It's that all nations would come to the Lord. That is for Jew, for Gentile, male and female. You need to put your trust in Jesus Christ. <laughs> There is no other way to eternal life. There is a very real hell, and everyone deserves it, but God in His goodness sent Jesus that we may not go there. Put your trust in Jesus Christ today. Amen? I hope you guys have enjoyed the book of Romans. It's been a blessing for me. <laughs> I've been encouraged by all your guys' texts, calls, emails, whatever, throughout the book, and just seeing what the Lord has shown you guys. I would tell you, continue to study, continue to be in it. We're going to go to Mark next. So it's going to be an exciting time. I believe it's always awesome to exalt Jesus and focus on Jesus. I'm so excited to see the book that shows Jesus as the perfect servant. It's going to be an awesome time. With that said, let's go ahead and, and come before the Lord in prayer.